The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. Uh, We are coming off uh, another Memphis loss, the third in a row. Uh, The Tigers go down to Tulane, fall behind 35-0, lose 38-28. It's a score that looked, you know, if you just looked at the final score on, like, a schedule webpage, whatever, like over at ESPN.com, you just looked at the score, you go, well... You know, on the road against a ranked Tulane team, 38-28, you know, probably, you know, sounds about right, I guess. Um, But the way it all played out with them falling behind so much, having such (laughs) a horrendous first half, um, I think uh, changes the way you think about it. And now the Tigers enter their bye week with a 4-4 and record. Um, As we mentioned, three straight losses, the noise around the program is getting louder, more disgruntled uh, fans. Um, and uh, they are staring at a, you know, a four-game stretch to close the year that, you know, feels like, you know, it may, you know, it could decide, you know, the future of the program in some ways. Um, it, it very much feels like the future of the program is up in the air just in terms of, you know, is this, you know, is this the, are we watching the end of the Ryan Silverfield era? Will the administration, you know, will he turn this thing around? Maybe, you know, reel off some wins you don't expect now that they've lost three in a row. Will the administration be patient? There's a lot of questions. Um, So a lot to get to in this week's episode, even though there's no game to talk about this weekend. Uh, So we're going to recap the Tulane game here in a second. We're going to assess where this program's at now that it sits at four and four uh, and two and three in conference at the bye week. And uh, we'll look ahead to what's left on the schedule, what's left uh, for this group to try to accomplish uh, over the last four games of the season. Um, But Evan, let's start with the Tulane game in particular. Um, This third straight loss where they fall behind 35, nothing. And then, you know, show show some fight there in the second half, and you know I don't know I don't know if I ever I don't know if I would say gave themselves a shot to win because a lot of things still would have had to happen even if Seth Hennigan doesn't throw that last interception, but they made it at least a little bit interesting in your mind leaving the game uh, leaving the game leaving from watching the game. What was your take? What, like what stuck with you more? The fact that they fell behind 35 nothing, or the fact that they came back? I think I know the answer, but how do you balance those two things out? The fact that this team fell behind 35 nothing to Tulane and played just a, an embarrassing first half uh, with the fact that, you know, they did show some fight in the second half and didn't just, you know, throw in the towel, which they very easily could have done. So I will be perfectly honest. Screw the second half. The first half was incredibly embarrassing, and I will say why. The second half, they showed a lot of fight, and you give Memphis credit for that. But they put themselves in that hole with 
one of the worst first halves they've played in the Ryan Sealfield era. And it starts, oh, I think that was the worst. I don't know if there's a it, one of the worst. That was the worst. For either sure. that, that was one of the worst. That was the worst half of Memphis football I since I've been here, and I've been here since 2017. And you know, I'd venture to guess it was you know, I mean, they had not, they had not been down 35 nothing since the Larry Porter era in the first yeah. after, at halftime of a game. Yeah, that includes the Mississippi State game we saw where they couldn't move the ball at all. Like that's how bad this was. You played worse against Tulane than you did against a Mississippi State team that was playing at, you know, at Mississippi State. This was, dare I say it was rock bottom, at least in the first half. Like, you, I saw people around the, you know, a few people, college football writers around the country, reply to my tweet saying this might be the down part, the downward spiral, not downward, the rock bottom of the Silverfield era. And it wasn't just that, it, the score was one thing. There were, Incredible mistakes. There were a muffed pump by Eddie Lewis, who has been very reliable most of the year. Um, Kobe Drake caught a pass and he got bumped. He made a fumble that turned the ball over to Tulane. Um, Seth Hannigan had two interceptions, the last one being the last Memphis offensive play of the game. But three turnovers in the first half put them in this hole. Special teams, which is, again, the return game has been dreadful, atrocious, whatever adjective you want to put in. They allowed a 90-yard punt return. And just like that, it's 21 zip in the first quarter before you can blink. So everything that went wrong, that could have gone wrong for Memphis, everything that we talked about on this podcast that has been an issue, the offense struggling, the defense not being able to stop big plays, special teams return game, everything went wrong again. And again, it's on TV. You're at a sellout crowd at Tulane, the biggest crowd they've had, I think, at Yulman Stadium. And you lay an egg like that. That is what I take away from it now. You give some credit to them for fighting. And again, Ryan Silverwood has told us he loves how this team fights. Okay, fine. They fought. You still lost by 10 points. And it's not that you just lost. You lost a game where, again, similar to the ECU game, your, at, your players looked like a different level of athlete compared to Tulane athletes. The Tulane athletes looked a lot more dynamic on the field. You saw Ty J. Spears. Um, get over 100 yards. You saw their receivers, you know, show a little bit of separation to get open. Um, you you saw the gap. And if you're a Memphis fan, what concerns you is you shouldn't be losing ground to ECU in Tulane. You shouldn't be down 35 nothing at a Tulane. If you're down 35 nothing to Cincinnati, okay, you you can accept that. But to be down 35 nothing to Tulane, that is probably a sign that things are not where they need to be. And we've seen the signs, but that's what stood out to me. Like, yes, give Memphis's offense credit for four straight touchdown drives. When we talked about how their offense has struggled to score drives and whatnot, but 35, nothing more. I, I, I can't shake how incredibly awful that first half was. No. And it, and it featured, you know, it was a lot of the things that had gone wrong throughout the season when they've gone wrong, you know, the, Offense could not sustain drives because they couldn't establish a running game. Really, um, they turned the ball. They've gone from being a team that took care of the ball the first four or five games to, you know, they're very. They've been turnover prone and they don't have a margin for error to be turnover prone. Um, you know, defensively, you know, Tulane. It felt like had its way most of the first half. Um, and then special teams, there were some, you know, atrocious breakdowns. You give up a kick return for a touchdown and you muff a punt to set up another two lane touchdown. Um, so, 
It was, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was ugly, especially that first quarter in particular was just so bad. And um, I do think, though, I'm not going to totally disregard what happened in the second half from the sense of maybe, you know, like if they go out and they lose that game 52 to 7 after that first half, I think you're going into this bye week really concerned even more so. I think it's still a concern, but even like you'd feel like it was, but you'd feel like the team had quit um, on the on the coaching staff and on the season. And honestly, they might coming out. You know, who knows? Like I don't know how they're going to respond to to what's happened to this season where they've lost three in a row. But at least they in that particular game, that team showed you know quite a bit of pride there. I think that I don't think that's nothing. Um, it's not a lot of anything though, you know, like ultimately as you put it, like you're much to me, much more focused on what happened in the first half than the second half. Cause part of the second half was just Tulane inevitably took their foot off the gas pedal. Cause they were up 35, nothing. Um, right. You know, they weren't playing as hard. Let's just be, I think Seth Hannigan even said it after the game. Um, so it is uh, quite a spot. They've put themselves in here now. Um, as they enter the bye week um, at four and four, and it just feels it's not just that they're four and four. It just it feels like the season is really slipped away from them. And even though like I think there is a scenario where they could turn this around, like it's not like their last four games are super challenging. And like, you know, UCF, yeah, is a tough team, but you're getting them at home. Tulsa's not very good. North Alabama is an FCS team. And, you know, I don't think SMU is, the, is some world beater either, yeah, though it is a road game. Um, like you could go three and one that that those those next four, maybe. But the way the season has been shaping uh, and has been going like, I don't know, I'd find it hard to predict that. You know, I think it's possible, but I don't know if I'd predict it. You know, like this, the team very clearly feels like it's headed in the wrong, the uh, the wrong direction right now. I mean, the offense isn't as good as last year's offense, which wasn't as good as the years before that's offense. Um, the defense is about the same. They're kind of uh, unreliable. Um, they have their moments um, and they're OK when they create turnovers. But if they can't create turnovers like they're in, you know, they can be in quite a bit of trouble, especially in the past game. Um, and then the special teams, you know, they have a kicker now, but it feels like every other part of the special teams has really been a, a, a real weakness for this group. And rightfully so, I think it has ratcheted up the pressure on Ryan Silverfield dramatically. Um, and the question, you know, I think there are a lot of people in the fan base. I said this last week, the, the way this is trending, like it's hard for a, like I, I can't it's. It, it, it's hard for me to imagine this working out with Ryan Silverfield being the long-term coach of Memphis football. Whether he comes back next year, I don't know. Like I, I think that is very much up in the air. Um, you know, it's not a done deal that he comes back, and I don't think it's a done deal that he's going to get fired either. But long-term, can you re- like can you really see him coming back from the the sentiment that's out there now? where it feels like there's so many fans that are unhappy with the direction of the program. Like I just find that hard to believe that long-term this is going to work out with Ryan Silverfield as the long-term head coach. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really getting it's like you said, it's getting tougher to see how how this turns around unless you end up going three and one over the next uh, four weeks here. I mean, you look around and even that if you go three and one, I still think while that's, you know, like I I, I think there's going to be a segment, a big, a decent segment of the fan base that's still going to be unhappy with him, to be and, quite honest. And they should and they should because the product that on it's on the field has has not inspired any sense of confidence long term. I mean, listen, mm-hmm. you know, as we wrote this week, as I wrote this week with what Ryan Silverfield said after the game, he basically said that, you know, on the post game radio show t- to the players, this is what he kind of said is like, hey, if you know, if this is too hard for you, if you know, if you want to, you know, look elsewhere, go ahead and leave. But I believe in the cultures, Ryan talking, I believe in the culture that we have here. We're going to, you know, basically figure it out. But when you when you say that, I don't think as a fan you find that to give you any sense of confidence that things are well behind the scenes. Well, and it cuz it kind of feels like he's basically decided, while he always says, you know, it's on me, I've got to get better. I think that's you know, it feels just like kind of like he just says it cuz he feels like he has to say it, you know? He doesn't actually mean it. Like I think he believes the way he's coaching this team and the philosophy he has is the right way. And he maybe, you know, I'm not saying I, I know the right way, but I think the results are starting to suggest that it, his way isn't necessarily, or the way they're doing it at present isn't the way uh, you, you do it. Um, I, you know, there's increasing results that suggest as much. Um, and, I do think it's it's just it's a very interesting spot the university's in because ten years ago, if a coach went six and six at Memphis, <laughs> which is what I suspect Ryan Silverfield might end up doing again this year, um, there's no chance he would get fired. But so is this administration going to be the admi- first Memphis administration in 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 you know? I don't know if it's this is actually accurate, but like a someone who's going to go, a coach who goes to a bowl game, are they going to fire that coach? Are they going to be the first Memphis administration to do that? You know, I, that's a very to me interesting, interesting mm-hmm. question, and I I do think we'll watch it play out um, over this next month, and it'll be partly you know like I, I don't know the answer to that, um, and uh, it's. Uh, whether he deserves to or not is not the question. It's whether it will happen or it won't. Um, and I think a lot, it, it kind of frames what this next month is. It's a very both perilous and significant time in Memphis football recent history, if you will. Yeah, and and let's be clear. I mean, I was looking around the landscape around college football. Obviously, USA Today's Misery Index had Memphis in there. I think ESPN today had a story about coaches who are on the hot seat, and Ryan Silverfield was mentioned in there. Uh, Bruce Feldman even mentioned him on kind of like his seat's getting a little bit warmer. So the temperature is starting to like notice around the country where other people are talking about it too. And like you said, should Memphis get to six wins and they get to a bowl game, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next. And yeah. again, there's loom- the looming possibility is if you're Ryan Silverfield – you sell the fact that, hey, next year the AAC gets weaker and you have a chance to maybe kind of right the ship and compete a little bit because you got a lot of guys, you got 
for now. You got a lot of guys coming back. The AAC might be a little AAC is going to get down with Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF leading. Maybe you sell that to try to save your backside. But I don't even know if the fans would 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 tolerate that because again, as you mentioned, there's things going on outside the program. You know, mainly the stadium renovations that are looming to start next after next season. All these things are looking around, and we mentioned it earlier: the attendance factor. If the attendance for these games doesn't look great, which we don't think it will for North Alabama at least, it's going to be very hard to keep fans engaged and give them a sense of hope. So I don't know. I feel like the temperature right now will be very curious to watch starting next week when UCF comes to town. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I do think it's a potential for like a Tubby Smith scenario where it becomes, you know, whatever the price is to buy them out, three and a half million or so, becomes less expensive than the money you potentially lose if you bring them back and people stay away from the games um, like they seem to be starting to do even this year. Um, and so, uh, it's on, you know, like ultimately it's on Ryan to convince the fan base that, you know, he can get this turned around. And the only way he can do that is to, you know, beat UCF and, you know, beat SMU to close the year, stuff like that, where you can, you can truly sell, you know, that you're headed in the right direction. Cause that's what, when, when we spoke to Laird Veach at the beginning of the season, that's what he, that was his standard. Like he wants programs he judges coaches based on the trajectory of their program if they're headed in the right direction and very clearly ryan's program right now is not headed in the right direction now there is a scenario where you win these last four you come out and win these last four and and none of them are unwinnable games like i said you know like none of them are like it's not some huge tough schedule coming up here um but if you can do that, like you can sell, we're making progress. Um, you can't do that right now. Um, that's just the truth. And um, it'll be, you know, I, I just, I, you know, it's going to be a tough decision. But ultimately, to me, if we reach the end of the season and you can't say definitively that this guy can lead, you know, can lead this program to the top of the AAC and the new look AAC. Like if you can't say that definitively, like you're wasting time, not getting rid of them. You know what I mean? Like once you've made that decision to me, in my mind, you can't, you can't just stick it out and hope for the best. Um, You got to You got to make a move. And if three and a half, I said this last week, if three and a half million dollars is what's holding you back from making a decision, don't, don't, don't tell me you you seriously want to join another conference. <laughs> like, don't mm. don't sell me that. <laughs> don't sell me that anymore. Because if if three and a half million is what's keeping you from is is what's preventing you from firing someone who you don't think is the right choice to lead the program. Like, you know, again, what are we doing here? There's not like you're not the program you claim to be. Um, and I don't think you're the program that your fans want you to be. Um, now it's not easy coming up with that money necessarily, especially in these times when you're also, you know, you got kids angling, you you know, some of that money is now going to NIL. Some of it they're trying to get for the Liberty Bowl, but you know, that's your job as an administrator is to, is to solicit donations, you know, like it's, (laughs) this is all a test to me of what this operation is in its current form with some new faces, 
you know, whether it's the president, Bill Hargrave, who seems much to be much less hands-on than David Rudd was with athletics, with Laird Veach, who was relatively new, you know, only a few months into the job, I believe, when Mike Norvell yep. left. Yeah. Um, you know, now he's much more familiar with the terrain. Um, and, you know, frankly, you know, whether it was his call in, in the end, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of factors, but like ultimately, like he's on the hook for whatever Ryan does. You know, like it was ultimately he was the athletic director when they decided to make Ryan the head, the full time head coach. And so there's going to be a spotlight on him. There's a lot at play here um, with the end of this football season beyond just Ryan Silverfield's future. It feels like almost like a little bit of a test for the whole the whole department in some ways. Like where a good like a good like, you know, barometer of where this department is post pandemic, if you will. Absolutely. I, I think you said it well, Mark. And I think with Memphis going into this new AAC, there needs to be a clear identity of what you are as a program, because you clearly have eyes on getting into a bigger conference. You clearly look at this lesser conference as we need to set ourselves apart as the best team in this conference, or at least among the better teams in this conference. Um, and that's got to be what they look for. And so, again, I, I'm not again, we neither you or I yet have reported anything, so I'm not going to call for anything. But I will say this, that um, these next four games might be as this month, I will say, might be as critical a month for the football program that Laird Veach has had to oversee in terms of what what will he do? What will he re what will he what will he and his team decide, depending on what Memphis does, if they get to a bowl game? That's going to be a factor. What are the crowds going to be for um, these next three home games, especially that Tulsa North Alabama game, which we think the crowds might be, uh, shall we say, sparse in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. But we'll get to that, obviously, in a couple of weeks. But those are all things they have to consider. But I think this might be the month where it's not just Ryan Silverfield worrying about how the team's going to turn around. But like you said, the athletic department this might be the most important month as far as like what they want to do with this football program, because what they decide to do won't just affect the whatever they go into the AC, AC, it'll affect the money they're going to try to raise for the Simmons Bank Liberty Bowl renovations. It'll affect season ticket sales for next year, all of that stuff. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And that's before we even get to discussing how these next four games are going to play out on the field. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right, I wanted to run through it with you real quick. All right, so we're at the bye week. How would you evaluate this team on offense and defense and special teams? Like, who would you, what would you say offensively, give me one good thing for this team and one bad thing for this team? Same with the defense. You said one bad thing. Do we have time to pick one? <laughs> pick the worst thing. All right. All right. So I'll start with the offense because I, I I got something coming to commercialappeal.com where we break down the positions a little bit. For the offense, I'm going to say Caden Priestcorn has been a good thing. He has been yeah. a, break, a breakout player this year. Six touchdowns leads the team. I believe it's still tied for the national lead among tight ends. Here was a guy who was a walk-on, who played behind Sean Dykes, waited his turn, and has been a revelation leading the team in receptions, receiving yards. Um, he looks like somebody who is, has just answered the call whenever he's been, you know, it's been called his way. Um, I would say he's been the good thing to, for me on offense. Mm -hmm. And I would say – 
The bad thing, I'm I'm going to go with the offensive line. I mean, you can t- look at the run mm. game. You can look at the receiving core. But I'm going to go with the offensive line because I feel like the concern for me is it's year three with assistant coach Jim Bridge, who coached the offensive line. And if you look at some of the numbers, the yards per carry have dropped for a third consecutive year. Um, I went to footballoutsiders.com, which is a great analytics site. Um, some of the run stats for Memphis have been very, very Concerning, for example, if you look at stuff rate, which is the rate of running back carries that either um, get to the line of scrimmage or tackles for loss, I believe Memphis was in the bottom 30 in the country in that category. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're looking at the the offensive line. That's been a problem. The sacks. Well, well here's a damning thing. The If you go by yards gained, the leading rusher, not including like loss of yardage, like on sacks and what have you. Like, Seth Hennigan is really their leading rusher this year. He has 368 yards gained. His net yardage is only 220 because he's got 148 yards and losses because he takes sacks. Uh-huh. But he's been their, like, he's been their best running back in a lot of ways, running the ball. Um, like, they can't run the ball with their running backs. And I think it's more a reflection of the O-line than the running backs, but it also is a reflection of the running backs. Yeah, I mean, look, yards per carry, I always look at as a – I've learned that's an O-line stat. So that's it speaks to both. But, yeah, the, the offensive line has has not been great. And you mentioned that Seth's been taking a lot of sacks. I think that, too, reflects on the offensive line as much as the quarterback. So I would say the offensive line, there, there really hasn't been anything you look at mm-hmm. and say, that's something that can really, you know, I look forward to. At least with the receivers, you got Gabe Rogers, who's possibly having, you know, the, the, the better all-around season of any player – um, well, where's he been? Where's he been since the Houston game? He's been yeah. kind of, he's been, you know, it feels like, it feels like him and Prescorn teams have been able to take them out of the game plan, uh, you know, the past couple weeks at times. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I, I, yeah. there's a lot we can go, but I will go with the offensive line. And then you asked me yeah. about the defense, right? Yeah. Defense. One good thing. One, one bad thing. All right. One good thing. Quindell Johnson. Let's let's give okay. him his love because Quindell has you saw when he didn't play against ECU, that defense got absolutely shredded on third down and everywhere around the field. Quindell played that game against Tulane and you knew he would be fired up, but you saw a different energy in some of the players. You saw guys trying to make the tackle. You saw Quindell lead by example making tackles left and right. You saw him try to make plays. I saw one play where I think Silvante Oliver maybe m- would have missed a tackle, but he grabbed somebody's jersey, kept him from a third down conversion. That's the kind of effort that you see when guys follow their leader in that regard. So I would say Quindell Johnson, three picks on the year, yeah. one of your team's leading tacklers. To your point, he basically missed a game in the ha- game and a half. He's still second on the team in tackles, leads the team in interceptions, and is tied for the lead in pass breakups. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying he's been absolutely the bright star on this defense. Um, and I would say the worst, the bad thing, let's go with uh, the pass defense. I mean, we, yeah. it, it's weird saying Is that it possible to have Quindell as the best thing and his unit as the worst thing? <laughs> I, I could ask that same question about special teams. You have one of the best kickers in the country in terms of made field goals. You have a punter who's second in the net punting and special teams has been getting criticized left and right by Ryan Silverfield. So yes, I think the defense can be both. Um, in the past defense, it, it's crazy. You have Quindell Johnson who's playing incredible, but the past defense has just been really, really struggling. Again, it's something that's happened at Memphis for years, but what concerns you is just still, it's one of the worst in the country yet again. 
It is. It is. And what worries you is Quindell Johnson's leading after this season. What do you look forward to next year? That's what makes me mm-hmm. concerned is that I think all the, most of those guys will be back next year. And if you're a Memphis fan, you got to be nervous, wondering who's going to not just fill Quindell's shoes, but who's going to get better. Um, so I would say the secondary has definitely been uh, the one bad thing. Let's get to you. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I was going to say on offense, I think I agree with you on the good thing. Pre-scoring has been kind of the one revelation. You know, Hennigan has been um, he was he was he's been a little up and down ultimately, uh, a little too up and down to be the best thing. But he's <laughs> you know I think he's doing you know I think he's made some mistakes, but I also think. You know, I don't think he has some I don't think he has great weapons and I don't think he has a great offensive line. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, it hurts. It limits him a little bit in terms of worst thing. I think I'd go with just the running game in general, how terrible it is again. Um, And then on defense, best thing, I I guess I think I'm going to say, like, I think they're pretty decent as a run defense. You know, like the front mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now until this last game where, you know, it felt like losing more Dallas Ducksworth was a problem this past week. They were yes. playing guys on the D line who really weren't ready. It felt like, but I think in general, those linebackers, Zay Collins, Jeffrey Canton, Arku, Tyler Murray, they've been pretty good. Um, and then, I would go. Yeah, the secondary is very clearly the the bad thing um, in general, despite Quindell's best efforts. Um, it, it just has felt like a revolving door back there in terms of personnel. And also, you know, it's just been especially on third down. It feels like they've had trouble getting off the field because their secondary isn't very good. Um, so that's what I would go with. And then, you know, honestly, like in general, I would say like a bad thing for both units has been just consistent consistency consistency and strategy. Yeah. Like yes. play calling slash strategy. Like they both co- new coordinators have had moments where you feel you're like, oh, this guy's like pretty good. And then they've had moments where you just have like just head scratching. And so mm-hmm. they've been they've been as inconsistent as the players they coach. Um, let's put it that way. Um, and you know, I think it's reflected in their four and four record. You know, I think the record mm-hmm. is what this team is, um, ultimately, even though there's been, you know, there's, they've had some tough breaks. You could make the argument that they're whatever it was before last week, they were two plays away from being six and one, but you know, you could also make the argument. There's a couple plays that go the wrong way and they're, you know, three and five instead of four and four right now, you know, potentially. Um, so it's, uh, they are what their record says they are. And, and what it says is they are a, uh, you know, kind of a meh college football team. Um, and that's a problem for Ryan Silverfield. And it's a, it's a problem, uh, for the university. Uh, and it, it, they're in a tough spot here. Uh, as we head into the bye, it's tough. It's a tough bye week. <laughs> it's just a tough bye week for the program. Yeah, I'd say it's they're about the buyer's about a three point favorite right now, Mark, going into the yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, we'll Evan will be cranking out material throughout the bye week. I might write something too. Um, I believe Ryan Silverfield is scheduled to speak later this week. Um, and then uh we'll also be getting you ready for the UCF game next time we join you. Um and the season will uh see the end of the season will be here before you know it. We're only about a month away. 
Um, so Tigers sitting at four and four, three game losing streak in the during the bye week. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll keep you abreast of any developments over at commercialappeal.com. Till next time, I was Mark. That was Evan. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, enjoy your bye week. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.